but I think that if you kind of, um, if you stay optimistic and kind of stick true to something you're passionate about, you end up being successful and being happy. So I just think that's, you know, that's the key right there. Number 133 is finally here. What's going on? Welcome to Biz Women Rock. This podcast and this entire community is dedicated to sharing great business stories from business women all over the world so that their business journeys and the lessons that are there can help each and every one of us on our own business journeys. My name is Katie Kremitzos, and I am your happy host. Before we get rolling, here's a little word from our awesome sponsor. If you're tired of your spend and hope marketing strategy, why not give Proven to Succeed a try? Postcard Mania uses proven results from your industry and its other 64,000 plus clients to build you a marketing campaign with the greatest chances of success. Just go to postcardmania.com forward slash bizwomenrock. So excited to bring my guest to you today. Her name is Kathleen Tooley and she owns Box which is spelled B-O-K-S. It stands for Build Our Kids Success. It's a nonprofit she started back in 2009 that is basically a turnkey before-school kids program that um, is there so that kids could actually run around and exercise and uh, just be very, very active before school begins, um, which has had lots of scientific evidence behind it that allows kids to be a lot more productive and learn a lot more and just be a lot more well-behaved. She admits how lucky she was that at the very beginning of starting this nonprofit, um, she had Reebok basically love her program and choose it as like the major program for their social responsibility sector. So um, it has a budget of about $2.3 million. They are in 1,200 schools over six different countries. It is a tremendous program. And what you're going to love most about Kathleen is that that's not nearly enough for her. She is here to lead a movement to make a major shift in kids' relationship with exercise and, you know, erasing bad food habits and making sure that they're very active and living very healthy lifestyle. So she's super passionate. She's got a great story. During this conversation, we talk about why she decided to do a nonprofit rather than a for-profit company. We talk a little bit about her leadership style. um, And we definitely go into the relationship that she has with Reebok and how she structured it to be a turnkey program that can literally scale very, very easily. So if you have a passion and you want to create something big out of it, like make a worldwide global movement, this is the girl that you got to listen to. So let's go. Kathleen, what's going on? Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I uh, am very excited to be able to tell your story. It is one that's really near and dear to my heart, actually, because we did not mention this during the, our pre-conversation, but I have been like a, an athlete ever since I was a little girl. And so being very athletic and sports-minded as a little kid is so part and parcel to like who I am as an identity. So I absolutely fell in love with what you're doing, and I'm so excited 
to share it with everyone today and especially about your journey on and what you've experienced with it. So um, before we actually get into Box, um, can you give us a little bit of a background about your professional history and kind of what what you were doing before all this? Because it has absolutely nothing to do with kids and sports. <laughs> I know you are absolutely correct. I have nothing to do with it, but um, but sometimes that's just the way way the world works, right? And uh, I feel very fortunate and very lucky that I've had this opportunity. Um, so I, I my my history um, is that I spent about eighteen, nineteen years in the corporate finance world, mostly real estate. So um, I worked in. The U.S., Japan, and Scotland, um, a lot of real estate transactions, a lot of non-performing loans, and what have you. And around um, 2008, I was actually diagnosed with melanoma, um, which was also the same time that, if you recall, um, there was a big dip in our economy and the real estate industry wasn't doing so great. So that combined with um, getting that, you know, shocking phone call from your doctor saying that you have malignant melanoma um, was a real wake-up call to me, and I had two young kids at home, and I said, you know what, I don't want to spend my time in the corporate world anymore. anymore. I want to be a stay-at-home mom. And so... Um, How old were your kids at the time? They, they were um, around four and seven at that time. Got it. So you did, you so, did the stay-at-home mom thing? I did a stay-at-home mom thing, which lasted about um, two weeks. And, uh, <laughs> Not so much? I, you, didn't, you didn't really click onto that? Well, my husband made fun of me because he's like, you have cancer, your pants, and he was starting every different business under the sun, um, and including like selling gluten-free banana bread at the local coffee shop. I think it cost me $12 a loaf to make it about $2 to sell. <laughs> and so... Um, I came across the book Spark, written by Dr. John Rady, who is a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and he's written about seven different bestsellers all around um, kind of your mental brain health, and a lot, you know, German Distraction is probably the best-known one, um, a lot on ADHD and ADD, and he, in his book Spark, he talks about neuroscience behind exercise, that if you exercise for 15 to 20 minutes at 60 to 80 percent of your maximum heart rate, it has the same exact effect as taking a little Prozac Ritalin. And wow. I thought to myself, well, I was really, I mean, the book, book is fantastic. And I thought, this is crazy. If, you know, exercise has that much impact, and the evidence is there that exercise before school makes kids do better, then why aren't we as adults or as parents and teachers requiring that kids run around and play before school if we know it's going to make them happier and healthier and achieve better in school. So I, I knew that in my kids' school there was only PE once a week. And so I went to my kids' principal and I said, if I have a group of parents show up an hour before school, can I start a pro run a program two mornings a week and let parents drop off their kids? And um, because evidence shows that they'd be happier, healthier, and it actually would help your, your school do better academically. And the principal said, no, thank you. Too much going on already. So... Um, I really was passionate and um, believed in my idea, so I went to the superintendent and I asked the superintendent if I could do this. And he really liked the idea. He knew Dr. Rady and he said, run with it, Kathleen. Mm -hmm. So 2009, um, it was called Fit Kids Get Up and Go. Fit Kids Get Up and Go was born at that time. And we 
um, sent out an email to all the parents saying if you want to drop your kids off an hour before school, Evan and Shows will be happier. We had 80 kids sign up in one week. How many? 80? So, 80. I'm wow. zero. And so we captured it that because we had no idea really what we were doing. We um, <laughs> knew that we wanted to run around and play with them. So we... Um, we were running around and playing with them, and within a couple of weeks, parents and teachers were emailing about what a positive difference they were seeing in these kids. Wow. Kids were more focused in class. They were excited to come to school. And I thought, this is more rewarding than any paycheck I've ever received. So um, what I call Word of Mom started to spread, and other communities reached out to me, asking me for a copy of the curriculum. And that's kind of when I had my aha moment. I thought, you know what, here's one opportunity not. And... You have to seize it, right? And so um, I said, I'm going to start a nonprofit. And I actually went back and forth, you know, to your to your business questions earlier. Like I went back and forth thinking, do I want this to be a for profit or nonprofit? And I truly was uh, felt strongly that this needed to be a nonprofit movement uh, across the country because we really do need to. We have a physical inactivity epidemic. The world has stopped moving. We are couch potatoes. We are in front of electronic salt the whole time. And we need to create a grassroots movement where individuals request movement and exercise. And I knew a for-profit company, I wasn't going to have that much success. And then schools didn't have the budget to pay for programs. So I said, you know what, I'm going to put the onus on parents to bring this opportunity to of country. So I emailed Dr. Rady because his email address is in this book and said, I'm, I'm interested in forming a nonprofit based on your book um, and I would like to know if you'd be part of it. And I never thought he'd email me back and literally within 10 minutes he emails me back and says, sure, Kathleen, I'd love to be part of it. And that's How when cool. I, I knew I was I knew I was in trouble. I said, now I really have to form something. <laughs> I'm committed. <laughs> yeah. So- I, I want to dig in on a point that you that you mentioned there um, because I did ask about this before we got on air, which was why did you decide to do nonprofit versus for profit? And and I I want to dig into this point because there are so so many women who are starting their businesses are doing out of, doing it out of the same passion and the same like fervor of. I want to create this movement. I want to create this change. And, you know, it's um, they experience that same question. Should this be a nonprofit? Should it not be? So can you explain just a little bit more about um, really your big fire behind this has to be a nonprofit? And then talk a little bit about what was unique about actually having to logistically set that nonprofit up. Yeah, so, I mean, I really... I felt passionate about the fact that um, if we were going to truly... If we really wanted to get kids moving... Um, that this wasn't just being altruistic, but that we needed to set it up for success. And in order to do that, it had to be a free program that was scalable and sustainable for schools and communities um, to use. And so that's where, you know, I thought a nonprofit made the most sense. And I also had a ton of help, pro bono help. So I really used, I mean, you really have to use your network of people. You have to say, okay, who in my network do I know that can advise me on this and put me in the right directions? And you need to spend a lot of time doing some due diligence to set it up and say, you know, there's every every business, every nonprofit started at some very small point. Uh, what makes some successful and grow incredibly quickly is that 
they are the right time, the right place, and they've also had the right advisors putting them in touch with the right people and the right connections. And I really feel like I always um, refer back to Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, because I do feel like in my circumstance, I mean, sure, some of it was um, that it was a great idea and that there was a lot of hard work into it, too, but I was very fortunate, too, because of the people willing to help me, including Reebok at the time. I mean, I approached them when I decided to form the nonprofit and I had put together the 501Cs and filed for it. I approached Reebok and I said, you know, it was a Friday afternoon at like 5 o'clock and Matt O'Toole, the head of Reebok, said to me, I'll give you 10 minutes. What do you want? And I was just going to pitch him to be on my board and give me some some T-shirts or trinkets. And he actually said, and I, he, he sat there for not 10 minutes, but two hours and said, I love your ideas so much that we want to help create this movement as well. So I was also wow. fortunate that I had, you know, Reebok at the time was kind of looking for a cause. And um, they really believed in the fact that the sporting goods industry had failed as a group and created a culture of spectators and that they needed to re- reverse this and create a culture of participants. And I came along at the right time. So part of it is luck on my behalf. I really do. I think it was, I was lucky. I think that Matt O'Toole um, really believed in myself and the other moms and, and realized that there was a critical need for, um, you know, creating physical activity activity for kids around the country. So, okay, so I want to I want to really expand on the fact that you know, you go from having 80 kids sign up the very first week of you doing this program to it's naturally word of mom organically growing, more and more schools want it, more and more moms and and parents are participating, more and more kids are participating. And then you get this meeting with Reebok and they say, we've been looking for this. I almost equate this to like, you know, like a for-profit business getting, you know, a, a, a huge first round of funding, which is like, okay, now here, here you go. How did you guys structure that deal? It, because they're, for your nonprofit, they are a large majority of the financing of it, a, a donor of it. Did, did they participate with you in like co-creating the program or scaling that out? Like what was that conversation like? Well, so we have become, so at first, when we first went in, um, you know, it was a little bit of an unknown of how we were going to structure this, but I, I think we both have faith in each other that, um, you know, the ultimate goal here is to get kids moving. So, um, you know, let's figure out the best structure for that. So when we first came in, house, it made the most sense for us to be under the Reebok Foundation, which is currently how it operates. So it's the primary initiative under the Reebok Foundation. Wow. So the first one we did look at um, being a bigger public charity and a for-profit, um, you, you have to look at the fact that you don't have the ability to just all of a sudden hire employees and set up payroll and accounting systems and legal systems. And the beauty of a nonprofit partnering with a for-profit is that that for-profit already has all those operational systems in place, and that takes a huge amount off of your plate for cost and efficiency that um, it really adds to scale. So um, we are the primary initiative under the Reebok Foundation, and um, it's, been a, it's been a wonderful partnership, and there is absolutely no way we would be where we are without Reebok. Um, they have also, I think the relationship with Reebok has also allowed us to work with Michelle Obama and Let's Move. And um, and then it, we're partners with the partnership 
America and Alliance for Healthier Generation and a number of others because we've had the resources um, that we've been able to pull athletes on occasion or we've been able to um, use different um, resources that we wouldn't be if, if we were just a, a nonprofit standalone being funded by grants. It would have been much harder to scale as quickly as we have. Right. And let's talk about the snapshot of present day, which is you um, you are in 1,200 schools in six different countries. Did I get that right? Yes. Man, that that's huge. Yeah. It, you started this in 2009, so that's a lot of movement. That's a lot of scale um, in, you know, five, almost six years. And, um, you know, you have a, about a budget of, you know, $2.3 million, which you were telling me before is actually quite small, cons- you know, comparatively to other programs that are similar to this. Like there are other programs who have you know, maybe three quarters of the, uh, or gosh, less than half of the size or uh, number of schools that you have that work on $16 million budget. So what you are doing with your budget that you have is amazing. You're, you're, I mean, you're really stretching it really, really well. Thank you. Well, you know what? I'm trying to, um, I'm really trying to create something that is sustainable and scalable and evidence-based. And when you start paying for things, um, and paying for programs and putting a lot of cost in it, that's not sustainable. There are, there's a lot of amazing programs out there in the different schools where they're so cost prohibitive that the schools can only afford it for one or two years. What we're, what we've created is, you know, it's a movement that can be basically done by any parent or teacher, anybody that, you know, really is passionate about getting kids moving. And so, um, the, the less funding you have involved, the easier it is to scale on an operational plane. And, you know, eventually my goal here would actually be to put myself out of business and just create such a big movement that parents are requiring that, you know what, we're not, like, we're sending our kids to school. There needs to be PE just like math, science, or English. It should be one of the, one of the common core classes that's offered because, if you don't have a healthy child, that child's not going to have that sponge-like brain to absorb all the material that they're learning. It's not natural. There was just an article put out yesterday from a therapist uh, who, I think it was in the Washington Post, the therapist went and sat in a middle school classroom to see if they could sit through a class for six and a half hours. And she wrote about how it was absolutely impossible for her to even focus after two hours. Like, wow. I mean, it's not natural to make these kids just sit there. Right. Well, and I was amazed when I was doing research about your movement and everything that we're doing and, and reading statistics about it. I was actually really dumbfounded that that PE is not offered as often as it was when I was a kid. I'm 30. I'm about to be 36. Like when I was a kid, you had like we did go to the school. You were playing on the playground early before class started. You were you know, you had all your your uh, recess breaks all throughout the day and you definitely had PE like all throughout my childhood. So um, I was actually pretty um, in shock that that's not necessarily the case anymore. So, um, so it's really great. What What's really fascinating yeah. to me is how how do you? What are the realities of how you've actually created a repeatable, uh, scalable program? So you're you're saying what I think I hear when you say that is you can literally hand over the playbook to 
you know, Mrs. Smith, who, you know, teaches science over here, but, you know, was an athlete and would love to come to the school early for an hour and uh, be able to do this program. So is that if that's how it works, if my assumption is correct, what what did you actually create? Like, what is that program that can be easily, um, you know, digestible and and therefore is very easily scalable? Yep. So we, we've created an, um, a total turnkey A to Z curriculum that, just as you said, Ms. Smith, who, whether it's a parent or a teacher, says, you know what, I'm interested in letting these kids run around and play for anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes before school or during school. I need a resource. Um, so all they have to do is go to our website and download um, the help pack, and, and it gives you kind of a summary of what the program is. And then they take the box pledge, which is just like a terms and conditions on, um, like on the iTunes store, you know, website saying, I'm going to use the box name and I'm going to use the curriculum. And then they get a username and password to our trainer hub that has online videos, uh, all of our downloaded curriculum. So the curriculum is written assuming that it is not a fitness person. It's not a PE teacher. It can be anybody that's going to run these classes, and it's written in 12-week 12, 12 increments. So um, it can be run three days a week or two days a week, and it's written in 40-minute blocks, which we recommend before school, but some schools use it during school. And literally, it's step-by-step. Step. So five minutes of drop-off and free play, five minutes of morning meeting where you discuss the skill of the week. So... All 12 weeks are broken into a skill of the week, which is a functional fitness movement in um, the current curriculum, um, like sit-ups, push-ups, lunges. Um, we think it's critical to teach young kids these movements. And then it goes into a um, warm-up activity, like a relay of, of a running activity, because we test the kids on 400-meter runs pre and post uh, oh, the wow. 12 weeks. Um, and then it goes into a relay race and an obstacle course, ends of the game. And then ends with a nutrition nugget. Um, so at the end, we cool down the kids and we talk about nutrition, which all those nutrition nuggets were delivered to us by Kemp's Medical Center. And they're things like, hey, kids, when you go home from school, run your snack underwater. If it's solved, it's not healthy. Yeah. Things like that. So, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, so it's, it's really easy step-by-step. We also have online videos. We offer free trainings and different locations throughout the country if you want to do an in-person training. And then ACE, which is American Council on Exercise, um, was so impressed with our program that they created a uh, box uh, ACE kids fitness certificate that um, box trainers can take. And it's 44 different questions, and if they get 90% or above, they actually get a certificate saying they're a box trainer and they get um, CEC credits for it. So oh, wow. that's very cool because it's allowing these everyday individuals to become trainers. And that's, that's a whole, you know, especially you think about these stay-at-home moms who want to re-enter the workforce. It's a whole industry uh, or a whole population that you're getting there. Right. Wow. That's it. I had no idea it was that intense. And that's amazing because I'm sure that that took a lot of time and energy and precision to be able to build out that programming. So, And that's exactly what you're giving them is total like, here it is. You don't need to think about any of it. We've got it all for you. And if you need explanation on how to do any of it, we've got that too. Yeah. And you know what? Um, the Aspen Institute is actually working with us right now as well. We're, we're going to design 
another 12 weeks of curriculum because now people who have been running lots for multiple years, they're looking for, you know, endurance training or core training or skill building. So we're also developing more curriculum. And again, it's all free. Wow. I think I just think that that's incredible. And it's so I mean, that's so huge. I just absolutely love that. So my question to you is you mentioned earlier that part of the beauty of having Reebok is one of you know, you guys are their major um, program that you get access to their staff and their back office and things that help you administratively. What is your role? And what is your day to day team? Like who is that? And what are you guys working on? So my role, so I, I kind of wear two hats. I'm the director of social responsibility for Reebok, um, and I'm the executive director of Fox. So, however, the social responsibility really just covers um, some small community stuff, and, and Fox is basically 90% of it. So, um, I mean, my day-to-day operations and tasks are really all over the board because we're still kind of in startup mode, and we're an entrepreneurial group. So I, I have a staff of it that's pretty small for being at 1,200 schools. And um, it's a lot. It's very operational. It's working with schools. It's putting together um, events. I mean, I just spent last week in Vancouver. We were announcing a partnership with the Canadian Football League and the Public Health Agency of Canada, where the Public Health Agency is donating $5 million to expand box across Canada. So... We were out there, and we were, we were doing a media tour. And um, I travel sometimes with Dr. Ramey a couple times a month and do speaking engagements um, on the power of exercise and empowering parents to make a change. So it's, um, it, I, have a, I have a great group, a great team who wears many different hats, uh, ranging from marketing to operations to strategy to outreach. And, um, you know, we're, we're in this, you know, 24-7 world, passionate about it and excited about the movement we're making. What would you say is your leadership role? Like, what's your style of how you actually lead your team and lead this movement, which is really what you're doing? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I should answer that. I'm sure all of them would answer it different. Huh? <laughs> so, I, you know, I think of myself as a very democratic leader. I like to have input from uh, everybody in the group and make sure that we are all aligned. Uh, I also like to think that, um, you know, I think empowering and um, inspiration is a huge part of leading. And I tell these I tell these, these girls that, you know, this is just one stop for them. Like, this is not their future. This is not their entire life. And I think we're very fortunate to be where we are right now and to make, be making an impact. And um, I really try to give them opportunities where um, they can kind of touch all sides of the business. So I do expect them to work. I, I also believe in flexibility. I think that um, people should be able to, if they need to work from home, they need to work from home. If they need to take a day off, they can. But I also, you know, we work a lot of weekends. So... I do expect them to kind of be plugged in a lot of the time, but I also um, totally respect and understand that people kind of need to be a little bit flexible with their schedule. And um, so, you know, it's, um, it's 
it's growing and evolving quickly. I'm really proud of them. I wouldn't be able to do this without my team, the training team, the corporate team, all the, the moms out there that um, take the sound of their own passion. So it's um, the success has not been because of me at all. It's been because of all of them around me and um, the people who have believed in us. And now a little word from our awesome sponsor. Are you using LinkedIn? Okay, let me ask that another way. Are you really using LinkedIn in a way that truly produces results for your business, like big time? Well, if you're anything like me and so many other businesswomen out there, you probably have a LinkedIn profile set up, but may not really do a lot with it. Or if you're actually on LinkedIn and you're active, perhaps you're not getting the results that you need. That's why you have got to know about LinkedIn Focus. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Niall Nickel, the founder of LinkedIn Focus, so you can see how using the right tools with the right platform can be explosive for your business. So what I love about LinkedIn Focus is that it shoves aside the 8,000 messages that you have about LinkedIn and all these strategies on how to use LinkedIn. It shoves all that aside and gets down dirty right to the point on what works, what doesn't and how you can really apply it to your business to produce results. It, it absolutely does. I mean, at the bottom of the day, it's a tool. You could get really excited because you get really massive results very quickly. LinkedIn Focus is where I really try to help uh, business and individuals leverage the power of LinkedIn for their goals. If you are not getting business from LinkedIn, then LinkedIn Focus is a must. Just go to linkedinfocus.com forward slash BWR. What do you think one of your, I guess, I want to say biggest challenges has been, but I also want to round that out with saying, like, what's one of the hardest lessons that you've learned along this way? I really, I, you know what, I, I feel incredibly fortunate, um, and I feel like, I feel like the more I learn about, about this issue in schools, the more I realize how difficult it is make a change. Um, so I think that that has taught me patience and that it's, you know, we can't change overnight. And I also truly believe um, that collaboration is key. It's not going to take just one rebound. It's going to take the sporting industry collaborating as a whole. It's going to take policy, you know, policy bodies, private sector, public sector, all working together and not having their own... <laughs> People need to put aside their own agendas and work together because there are too many there are too many people in their own hamster wheels running around out there, and we need to all work on this together. So I wouldn't say there's there's been any huge lessons learned. More of that, I've just been humbled at what a this big task this is to actually conquer, and that it's. It's going to take a lot more than just a little box program. Uh, it's going to take collaboration from many angles. Right. Well, in that respect, you know, I always love asking, like, what's your best, most effective marketing strategy? But in your case, it's really what strategies are you um, doing right now for, like, bigger growth? But, you know, really in the respect of, like, are you out courting other companies like Reebok to see if they also want to come on board so they can also help you, you know, use their network to scale? Like, what what strategies are you using that are either proving to be effective or you really want them to work and they would make the biggest change for you? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a huge part of our uh, strategy right now is 
I mean, we, we kind of have a five-point strategy uh, that we follow, and, you know, that is under the grow and empower um, point where I, I think it's critical to bring on other companies, and we are supporting other companies and talking to them, whether it's a capital infusion or an in-kind donation or their employees volunteer. Because look, look, bottom line, we have, we have a program that works, and I, you know, I don't care if it's Blue Cross Blue Shield or Google that says, you know what, we want to join this movement too, and we want you to come do a training at our headquarters and get parents and our employees to bring this program to local schools. So I think it's a no-brainer for companies to pick up and join the movement, um, and that's definitely one of our strategies is to partner with these people. We've also made sure that we didn't reinvent the wheel. So things like, or groups like the YMCA or Boys and Girls Club that are already established. We have done multiple free trainings for them, given them small grants for equipment and stuff, and um, many YMCAs and Boys and Girls Clubs are running box. So. Wow. Very, very smart. I love that. Um that's, I just, I love this whole program idea and I love the impact that you're making on such a, you know, you're right, it is a huge issue, but you're making a significant dent, which is, I just think, amazing and very, um, very wonderful. Um, I want to now go ahead and transform into our last segment of this interview, which is what I call um, your, your favorite five. Are you ready? I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally surprising you with this. I'm going to ask you um, five different questions about your favorite whatever, and they could be completely random. And just answer ice with the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? It's ice cream, one of them. <laughs> I guess that that's all-time favorite anything, your favorite of anything. Sure. We'll ask that the first. What is your favorite ice cream? Ben and Jerry's Chubby Hubby. <laughs> Uh, I'm assuming that's one thing you tell the kids not to have an abundance of, right? <laughs> uh, no, everything in moderation. See, I like it. I like it. Um, okay, what about, um, this might have been given already, but what about one of your favorite business books? I know you said you were really inspired by Spark. Um, what Has there been another business book that's really um, helped you build your business? Um, I think that um, geez, there's so many on the nonprofit side, but I think the one that inspired me the most was Outlier. It's not a business book, but Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I have, you know, those two spark in um, Outliers. But then, you know, um, Unchartable is another one that is a fantastic book that talks about nonprofits and how they really should be structured as for profit. Nice. You know, I got to tell you, just as a total random. Uh, rant on the side, but like the more and more people that that I talk to about how and why they decided to do a nonprofit or to do a for profit, there's this whole movement in for profit for like social responsibility, right? Like the um, there's oh, a yeah, there's a it's um there's a whole term for it, and I'm totally blanking on what it is. So many of the women I've interviewed have done it in that scale. So, to, in my opinion, it's only just like which it's like a preference thing because they both have they're both systems that have the power to do major good. I, and I just think it ends up being a, a real interesting preference. So anyway. Well, you know what? There, um, yeah, there's a book written uh, by Bridgespan. Uh, the Bridgespan Partners does a lot of, you know, nonprofit consulting. And uh, one of the books is called Do More Than Good. It's a great book. And they, they do. They talk about how um, 
I mean, that's kind of the wave of the future, too. Consumers want to know that companies are giving back. And, and that's a curse from um, New Profit. So New Profit is a um, social philanthropy, um, kind of act like a um, venture fund. But she created her whole business model off of the for-profit company and said, you know what, this nonprofits are not sustainable because they're not acting like for-profit. And we need to hire the people that get hired for for-profits and act like a for-profit. Mm. Wow, I like that. Yeah, I really, really like that. It's, um, that's a great. If you, um, if in your spare time, you should look at new profit. They're a phenomenal um, group that's really grown and made an impact. Nice. Well, and we're going to have links for all these books that you're recommending too in the uh, in the show notes. So let's get on to question number three of your favorite. What is one of your favorite business tools? Something um, maybe maybe not so common, but something that you use an app or some sort of technology or some sort of tool that you use that makes your life easier. Could it be running? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question, which is your favorite sport. So you can answer that one. <laughs> is your you favorite? Know, I, if I have, I am going to say that running is my business tool because if I have a difficult meeting coming up or if I have a problem, the best and the best way I can solve that or clear it is to go for a run. Um, and I will tell you, my my whole team will look at me on some days and they're like, "Oh no, you didn't run today, did you?" Um, I love it I'm going to say um, it's running I mean from an app perspective um, from a business side well just for anything this could totally be apps for anything I've had so many moms tell me like oh I love this mommy app it was wonderful so anything that makes your life easier yeah so um, that's my run is my is my go to I also uh yeah, and Twitter to me has been, I feel, you know, I no longer have time to sit down and pick up a Wall Street Journal and read it. So I do, I find that Twitter is a very efficient way to kind of get caught up in current events or to um, follow social media or tweet stuff the box. So I like Twitter a lot as well. Love it. Okay, now I know that you've traveled to a couple pretty cool co- uh, countries, so Japan being one of them. So I would love to know your favorite place that you visited in Japan. Um, it's a part. I love all of Japan. Uh, I would have to say Hokkaido. So Hokkaido uh, is absolutely beautiful. Uh, that was not for business. I did, I did travel to Fukushima for business. Uh, I think probably the most memorable is my trip to Fukushima, which was under, it was not under my GMAC finance watch. It was during Fox. We went back with Zabio. So Zabio is a large retailer in Japan, and they built some indoor kids parks and sponsored Fox in Japan. Um, and I went over there probably two years, two or three years ago, uh, and we trained a lot of Xavier employees, some employees from the Ministry of Health on um, Fox, and we spent 10 days up in um, up in the Fukushima area. And I will tell you, you know, it, that was incredibly touching for me to be up there where those um, individuals up there, you know, really been struck by a huge catastrophe in their life that will really never, their life will never be the same. And these people are so kind, and I felt so grateful to be part of Xavier's expansion of indoor kids' parks where kids could play, have a place to play inside because they can't go outside because the pollution levels from the, from the um, 
Fukushima disaster are too high. Oh, wow. Wow, that's inc- oh, that's crazy. Um, okay, and then I'm going to bring it home with this very last question, this very, very important favorite. What is your favorite date night with your husband? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. No, I'm... <laughs> um, my idea of a favorite date night, I mean, we're, my husband and I, when we met, the thing we had in common um, that we really loved about each other is outdoors, biking and running and hiking. And to me, that's my still my favorite time with him is when I can be outdoors with him, hiking or skiing or um, doing anything that is physically active. I mean, that is my ideal way to spend um, a date with, with him. Nice. Oh, well, Kathleen, this has just been such a pleasure chatting with you and getting to know more about your business journey. And I just really want to thank you so much for being so open about your journey and uh, giving us so much great information about what you're doing. Huge congratulations to you. You're doing amazing things. So thank you so much. Thank you. No, it's been wonderful. And um, we hope to see you sometime in the Boston area. Yes. We'd love to have you visit. Yes, I would love that. Four seasons. Woo-hoo. And if you ever, <laughs> if, if you ever want to see a um, box school in action down there, maybe I can find one for you. Nice. Very, very nice. I know. <laughs> I was sitting here thinking of like, okay, who do I know in the school systems here in our county that I could hook you up with? <laughs> yeah, awesome. absolutely. That's awesome. Yep. Well, thanks again, girl. One of the things that struck me that Kathleen said, just kind of off the cuff, but I caught and I I just thought it was really beautiful, is that her goal is to ultimately put herself out of business because she wants to change the culture so much to where her program is not needed. And I just thought that was incredibly amazing um, and very respectable. So um, very smart lady doing amazing things. Uh, I'm sure that you grab something from here that is directly relatable to your business. So take that nugget and put it into action. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you on the next episode.